Hi. Uh, my name is Michael Glenn. I'm the worship pastor here at New Hope Church. Welcome to New Hope. Welcome everyone tuning in online right now. And I am a Christian. And what I mean when I say that in particular is that I have become convinced of the factual certainty of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But there is more to it in my experience than just coming to that realization. I had an experience with the word of God, the truth of God, the Bible in particular. In essence, God was able to tell me who I was through verses like this. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I was able to identify with they, with they. Now I didn't perceive myself as being an enemy of the cross, and I don't, nobody really comes to a conclusion naturally that their end is destruction, so I didn't think that. But these next three really rung my bell. Is my God my appetite? Am I living and serving so that I could be filled with something, with comfort or pleasure? And is it possible that I have been making the mistake of actually being proud of things that in the view of heaven I should really feel shame for? So, the God, so God used the Bible, you see, to help me identify this way that I had to acknowledge that there was something wrong in me. But not all of the things I read in the Bible were bad. I read great things too, like from, verse, uh, from Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Yep, there's definitely glory in what God made. We could go examine that tree and come to the conclusion of that. So there's glory in what God made and there's something not, not quite right with me. So I have to f work into this here. Then there are verses like this from John chapter one. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So what you're saying, Jesus, is if I receive you, God will adopt me into his family, and I can experience a new birth, a second birth, an eternal birth into eternal life. I accept, I'm in, where do I sign? Many of you have received this invitation as well. This is the gospel. This is why we're here, it's why these pews are here. We are organizing ourselves as a church to declare and administer this gospel to our communities and the world. That's the point of this whole operation. We as a church are in submission to the leadership of Jesus Christ to declare this good news. The Bible itself is a collection of books written over centuries that masterfully, brilliantly, and cohesively tells a grand story of God working our salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. However, however, having been adopted into God's family, discovering God's design and plan for me is important. Amen? 
Part of God's design and plan is about what it means to be a man or a woman. God is not silent on this topic. Why a title, why a message, glory, and gender? Well, just a little brief background. It's because, quite frankly, being exposed to and listening to the volume of conversation that is now ramping up all around us on gender and in kind of having my ears to the rail in that conversation, I just feel like there's a perspective on gender that's sorely missing in this conversation. And uh, what perspective is that? Quite simply this. God's design for man and woman is not tolerable, it's glorious. God's plan for man and design and women is not tolerable, it's glorious. Don't feel sorry for me because I'm one of these crazy Christian guys that strives to be a man of God the way God would have me be a man of God. I find it challenging and rewarding. I get to be on a mission, which just sounds cool. Right? And, and don't feel sorry for my wife, Marla. Don't pity her because she tries to and ascribes to the idea of a godly woman. And uh, this is the part that I actually asked her write down for me, honey. I'm going to read it so I don't get it wrong. So I gave you my brief testimony. Hers would be, ascribing to be a godly woman is comforting, exciting, challenging. It's undeniable and precious. And I'm grateful for it. I'm concerned about a generation of people who have been interpreting and receiving messages from us on gender and never actually really hearing an honest inventory about how God's design has protected, guided, and rescued many of us for joy and glory. I just don't hear that when I hear people talking about what the church has to teach about gender. Don't feel sorry for me. God's design, God's plan for gender is not tolerable, it's glorious. All right, so a few things. I wanna start here. I'm not gonna list out things that men and women can't do. An honest assessment of the Bible, when you examine it, does not reveal much of anything in terms of limitations by gender. Take it to the bank. Now, uh, other thing I'm not gonna try and do, and that is to uh, spin at you stereotypes. Bible's not really chock full of them either. And let me, I wanna share a story with you to get my point across about, about this because I think it's that important. A couple weekends ago, I took the weekend off. Thank you. It was lovely. I packed up my family, my wife and the four of us kids and the family truckster. We drove out to Ypsilanti, Michigan to Willow Run Airport. We met up with another wonderful New Hope family while we were there. It was blazing hot. We were under a threat of thunderstorm and we were standing out pretty much in a field, wide open field with little available shelter. All so that I could have an opportunity with my family to witness a demonstration of the United States Air Force's F-22 twin engine thrust vectoring stealth air superiority fighter. That one right there, right over my head. 70,000 pounds of thrust ripping across the field. The kids were crying. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. Now, I, I'm a little weird with this. I love this stuff. 
Um, so we had a great day. We just missed the thunderstorms. We hopped in the van right as the rain started. We got home and my wife and I began loading up the pictures that we had taken of our trip into the computer. Does anybody do that? And as we're loading up the pictures, I'm kind of scratching my head and noticing something here because you see, as this demonstration was going on, my wife has pictures on her phone all right, but they're not of the plane. They're of my face. <laughs> and all the goofy expressions I'm making is I'm just like having this childhood moment of just enthusiasm watching this thing scream over my head. Now, you could, you could, we could all have a lot of fun talking about how that's a guy thing, right? There's a plane, it shoots stuff. Oh, how guy of you. Well, until you meet the woman at this event who's got her Top Gun t-shirt on, and she's got the aviators and a leather jacket, and she's getting signatures from all the uh, pilots, and it's like, yeah! I'm giving her one of those Top Gun double fives on there, and I just think it's great, good for her. Not every man is incapable of expressing his feelings, and not every woman is an emotional word artist. Uh, not every woman is afraid to knock some skulls, and not every man is a daredevil. And we put this stuff in all of our books, I've read it, but here's the danger. When we apply it from here, I believe we're doing a huge disservice to the gospel because we are just alienating a whole group of people who need to hear about what Jesus has done for them. Now, to be true about what is uniquely masculine and feminine from the Bible, this is an important part, make sure you catch this. We're gonna be looking at marriage. That should be something of an indication to you about how I mentioned there was lack of uh, like what you can and cannot do. To be true to what the Bible teaches about what it be a man and what it means to be a woman, we really have to look at marriage because that is where most of the uniqueness lies. Now, I'm not gonna be talking about what the Bible um, preaches or teaches us about homosexuality. I'm not saying that's not an important topic, but in your sermon notes, I have given a book for you to read. You can also just YouTube search the title of that book. It's called, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? And an hour or so long lecture pops up. It'd be great, it's very informative but I don't want to do that. But because of all the marriage talk we're getting into, guys and girls, I do think it's important. I want to take just a brief minute to talk about what it means to be single and to be Christian. We talk about marriage a lot in the church, but what is it to be single? I, I wish I had more time. I'm just going to give us three uh, points, and then we have to move on. The first one is this. If you're a Christian and you're a single, this is very important. Being single is not being incomplete. Being single is not being incomplete. And I only have to give you one demonstration of this to convince you, and then the case is closed. Was Jesus Christ married? No. Is Jesus fully God and fully human, fully man? Absolutely, that's foundational to our understanding. So, being single is not incomplete. Jesus was not incomplete as a single man. Secondly, God affirms singleness in the Bible. He actually reserves special blessings for single people. Maybe you've never heard that. God reserves special blessing in his economy for you if you're single. So whether you're single by accident or by choice, those blessings are for you. Third thing, do yourself a favor. Go get John Piper's book on marriage. It's called This Momentary Marriage. 
John Piper, This Momentary Marriage, he gives it away for free on his website. There are two chapters in that book that give detail and thought and time to this topic that I just don't have time to right now. Do yourself a favor, grab that and read it, and we'll be good. Last thing before we we dive into um, gender from the biblical perspective, and this is an important one. We all, as a group, watching online and here today, we represent a very wide bandwidth and experience with men and women, gender, relationships. I mean, this is at the core of a lot of our experiences in life, um, good, bad, and otherwise, and we can describe this all the way. I just wanna make sure I stay, I'm gonna take the time to say this. Don't interpret, if I'm not addressing an issue or a thought on your mind, it's not willful ignorance, all right? I have a focus, I believe, my effort is valid, and I'm gonna stick to my guns, and that is this. I want us all to just have 20 or 30 minutes where we just, just look at what God has designed and think it's great. Let's look at God, what God designed and think it's great and let the world know that it's great in doing so. That's valid. That's what worship is. God is great, let's meditate on that for a little bit. Jesus himself, when asked about being a man and a woman, he referenced a different part of the Bible. Jesus' approach, talk to me about man, women, marriage. Jesus says, oh yeah? Well, you gotta check out the creation story first. The creation story in our Bible is the beginning, the first couple books of your Bible is God's story of creation. Now, I say story for a reason, stay with me, because that's exactly what it is. The story of the creation is not, it's different in this sense. Truth is communicated to us through the complexities of a story. So one of the first cues or clues we have about gender is that what God wants us to know about it can't be easily tweeted. You can't pluck and take little things out there and, and, and you know, throw them around as darts, my, my way, your way. No, no, you have to step back and you have to look at this story and then the glory kind of comes out of the story. So. How does the story go? Glad you asked. God does this. God spends five days making stuff. Light, dark, water, land. He's making all this stuff. And then on the sixth day, we get to us, everyone. We get to us. God creates man and woman. Look with me at Genesis chapter one. We'll get into the scripture, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Looks especially at verse 27 here with me, church. That first word man in 27 implies all of mankind. So here's the first thing you gotta hear, which may be different from what you've heard before. Both man and woman were created to rule. Both genders were created to rule, not one and the other. We were both created to rule. The difference in our gender is just in the unique giftedness that God places for us in carrying out this mission to take care of this planet, all right? The creation narrative, by the way, is a poem. All of Genesis chapter one, if you wanna go home today and look at it, uh, you know, and then God said is like the hook. And then, and then God said, blank, 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 create all this stuff, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, 
blank, 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 and then God saw it. It's like the chorus repeats like our songs, right? Now, let's look at this for a minute and fast forward into Genesis chapter two for some more details. We've got our man, we've got our woman made equally in the image of God, but distinct, but different. Pause. Do you know that God in himself exists as a relationship? You ever stop to think about that? God in of himself on his own before time began existed in relationship with God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father. So would it not make sense that when God created a creature in his own image, he would create it to be in relationship? But something astonishing happens here. God has made man and woman. He's put them in a garden. Everything's great. Sorry, pause, back up. God made man, put him in the garden. Everything's great, everything's awesome. But then something astonishing happens. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. What? The chorus of creation is, and God saw that it was good. What is this not goodness all about? What is going on here? Well, it's not about loneliness. God did not say, church, it is not good for man to be lonely. The, the, this word alone is closer in meeting, this is, really, this is really neat, to separation. It's not good, now alone is the right word, I'm not saying it's a mistranslation, but it implies that. It is not good for man to be separated. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, I will make him a helper suitable for him. If Adam's problem was loneliness, wouldn't God have made him a companion? But God made Adam a helper, a unique helper. And here's the point. Adam was not going to be able to accomplish his mission to both rule and fill the earth without Eve. Adam needed Eve. Mankind needed Eve. So God has declared his creation good. Um, remember the chorus of our creation song, and God saw that it was good. God says it again and again. But I wanna take us to the garden. I want us to, go, I want us to really examine this moment here when God makes Eve. We're gonna use our imaginations and get there together. Um, Eve is the last created thing that God makes. Now I think it's worth and fun and fair to point out to you that uh, some Bible commentary scholars that I certainly respect thought it well enough to point out that it's, you know, from a purely poetical interpretation of this story, it's not too far-fetched. Again, don't put too much weight in this, but it's just, again, we're interpreting complexities of a story to say that as the last created thing God made, that in the order of the story, it's not too far-fetched to think as woman as, I'm gonna use my words very carefully here, as the most intricate and beautiful thing God made. And ladies, you are all a descendant, so feel good about that. Now God is making Eve, he, this is what he does. This is fun, we're in, we're in Eden, everything's great. God has declared man separated or alone in some way that's not good, so what he does is he knocks Adam out. He knocks him out, puts him in a sleep, and he takes some of the side of Adam, and he fashions Eve, all right? Then he brings Eve to Adam. Look at the way the Bible records this part of the story. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which we had taken from the man and brought her to the man. 
Does this look familiar to you? This is the first marriage. God has made Eve. Something's not good with this guy. This guy needs something, some help. I'm bringing help to this man. Now, do you know that God smiles? God smiles. I just, I've been to a lot of weddings. I get to sit up here for a lot of weddings and say a lot of smiles. Can you just imagine the smile on God's face? <laughs> Adam, there has been no woman yet. There hasn't even been one. And here we have the perfect man, you know, not cutting it. And God's like, wake up, sleepyhead. Wake up, look what I have. I just imagine an enormous smile on his face. Then the man says this. We look, look this up. Now, if you're looking at this in your Bible, I, I was able to get it formatted properly on the screen. You will notice that the man said, so he sees the woman and he says something. Those four lines there are indented that might be italicized in your scripture or in quotations or something. And that is because we're going along a narrative, but now all of a sudden we have a poem or a song. There is a lot of music in the creation account. Just saying. So here we have this poem. Now, albeit culturally clunky, guys, I don't think you're getting any dates with this one, but it's still a poem, and the first recorded words of any human being in history is the poem a man pens for his bride on their wedding day. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she went taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, naked and not ashamed, really quick. This is simply a physical um, demonstration of a spiritual reality. This is a physical expression of a spiritual reality because you see, in God's design, in his perfect, glorious, wonderful design, in Eden, there were no secrets. Nobody had to hide anything from anybody else. Adam and Eve were both known, both by one another and by God himself. There was no past, no unspoken concerns, no suspicions, completely known and completely unashamed. Isn't that great? In and of itself, this is God's design. This, we don't have to make excuses for this, this is awesome. On the level, compare it to other relationship theories. There's others out there. I'm not saying you can't even have a great marriage, Christ, a good, you know, a, a productive, Christless marriage. People do that all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, look at this design and don't just chuck it away. This is beautiful. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, those words we just read from the a creation account that we just went through, I put them back up there because it's interesting to note that now we find them near the end of our Bible in a book of Ephesians, when, when God is going to offer some more information and clarification on our roles as men and women. But no, this is really important. In literally quoting the creation account, God is saying, hey, by the way, none of that, I'm not undoing any of that. That's still the design, people. That's still the design. You can still equal in my image, designed to, to to rule and fill the earth. This is still our function as human beings, as people. He's affirming that, but then he continues. Because see, we have a revelation. We've had a revelation from God since Eden and to now. That revelation has a name, and his name is 
Jesus Christ, that's right. Jesus has come and changed things and it reveals a, a new thing and that is this. There's a mystery, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Jesus coming reveals to us something profound about what it means to be a man and a woman. Now we know, now we know that marriage is a dramatization of Christ's relationship to the church. That's the meaning of marriage. What we are doing in saying till death do us part is modeling the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. And that is breathtaking. John Piper. Part of what is unique about being a man and woman is we literally get to live out a celebration of the love that Christ has for his church, for all of us. I wanna borrow again a, a term from John Piper. I just, it is just, we are a living parable of Christ winning, leading, and caring for his bride, that's all of us. And then the verses continue. It continues with a, with a concept called headship. This is unique to us guys, part of the unique fingerprint on our souls that God gave us as men. It's called headship. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Not tyranny, not superiority. Remember, we're clarifying the Genesis account. We're not undoing it. And how are we supposed to exercise headship, guys? With love. With love. Love is the how of headship. Love is the how of headship. The text continues with basically a radical job description for us on how we can demonstrate headship, and it goes like this. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. See her as as precious as Christ sees all of us and be willing to protect her from harm, even with your own life, if necessary, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Her purity of heart is now your, one of your highest priorities. Her purity of heart is one of your highest priorities. Use the Bible. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. There is glory in her. There is glory in her. That's God's design. That's not a debatable point. That's not something you get to decide. God said it. And we are gonna love the glory in her by protecting it, preserving it, and caring for it. We're gonna take responsibility. That's what headship is. Remember, a little perspective on this. Man's first sin, guys, was a sin of omission. Our first downfall, and, and to this day, our first downfall is in omission. It's in the lack of acting. It's in laziness. Adam, in the garden, watched evil unfold before him and did nothing to stop it. And when God comes and asks for an account of this first sin of this crashing down of his paradise, he goes to the man first 
and demands an accounting for what he's done. Hey, this was pretty good. What did you do? You know what Adam basically says? The woman, that woman that you gave me, God, told me to sin, and I did. Does that irk you? It should. It is, it is glaringly obvious here that Adam has failed in a catastrophic way. I believe if that last little moment there kind of rustled your feathers a little bit, that's evidence of the truth of God playing its way into your soul. Because on the surface of it, making excuses for a thing isn't that wicked. My kids make excuses all the time. I'm not like torn up about it, but God made these excuses and every one of us are like, oh, how could you do that, Adam? Because he is abdicating his role of headship in that process. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, guys, this is a, care, a scary call of responsibility, right? But it, it's awesome. This is great. This is nothing to apologize for. In fact, it's a promotion off our couch too, isn't it? It's a high calling. It's hard work, yields lots of rewards. And the little perspective there on that verse we just read, don't forget, that entire passage was a metaphor describing Christ's love for the church. The church that he died for, the church that he leaves, the church that he loves, the church that he is making among us right now. Now there are a lot of consequences to headship being done well. Lots of them we could talk for a lot. I just wanna give you one consequence of headship being performed well, and that's this. No woman is ever cheap when men step up into the sacrificial leadership role of love that God calls headship. Let's look back at Ephesians and continue with our study here. We're gonna begin, we're gonna go back to verse 18. I'll just read this with you here. Continuing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now these first couple lines are to the church at large, all of us, all Bible-believing Christians in this place, gifted with the Holy Spirit, saying, be filled with the Spirit. Always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We are to be subject to one another, all of us, in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now the alarms start going off, I know. But let's not forget, this is a book written to godly people in a church, and Paul has clearly, God has clearly just communicated to us that submission is part of church life in general. All of us do it, and I'll make that point later. But look, I wanna take this subject to thing, I just wanna go right at it with no fear. First of all, observation. Listen carefully to this, because this is important. The parameters that God has set up for all of us the parameters that he sets up for us are not to somehow prevent us from discovering something cool that he's trying to hide from us. God's parameter, God's design for us are not designed to prevent us from discovering something cooler that God didn't think about. One more way to say it this way, God has not kindled us into some cramped, uh, uncomfortable pen of limitations while he kind of rubs his hands in delight at all we're missing out on. That's not the way he does this. The parameters, the design, the, the things we learn about ourselves in the Bible and the instructions that we're given are designed to not limit our potential, but to channel it 
to unleash it, to focus it. It might be good to remember this. We've already talked about the first sin. Let's talk about the lie that the first sin was committed with. The lie was simply this. God's design is not really for your benefit. It's designed to keep you from some grander experience in life. That was the lie that was believed that caused mankind to fall into sin. Oh, God. God would never withhold anything from me. This must be good for me, even though God said it's not. Well, God doesn't withhold things from you, but he does set up a design. It is precisely in submission to God's way, all of his ways, that we can experience abundant life. As a Christian person, do you have any problem with that statement? No. Now, back to being subject to your husbands, here's something that's fun. Don't be expecting some sort of Greek word analysis that softens the impact of subject to. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Subject to, in this sense, uh, outside of scripture, would have been most commonly used to refer to a soldier saying, yes sir, to his commander. Now there's something beautiful in that, we'll get to that later, but also be careful. Just wanna remind you that God's design for men and women is not undoing what God made in the garden. It's clarifying it. All right, back to the subject two thing, ladies. Um, and guys, too, every time subject to is referenced in terms of the role that a, a wife uniquely demonstrates in her own marriage, it's always referring to her own marriage. Headship is referred to in his own marriage. And there's a big misconception, everyone, that I want to clear up right now. Anybody who tells you that women are supposed to be submissive to men in general is not being honest with you and dismiss them. That is not God's design. It's not his plan. And if you're a Christian person at all, then you're already familiar and comfortable with the idea of submission I've had briefly, briefly touched on. Being, here's a litmus test for you. Being a Christian is saying, yes, sir, to Jesus with your whole life. We're all in submission to him. Also, Jesus people, you hear? Can I get a little uh, audience participation from you? Is Jesus God? Okay. Is he any less God than God the Father? Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, plainly detailed in Scripture. And there is a special and unique power in this role for women. And I deliberately left out a few details on our Genesis account so that I could come back to it here because all of these concepts need to be understood as relating to one another. And that's the hard part. Headship doesn't really, headship is in, doesn't work without love. Um, being subject to definitely doesn't work without love. Uh, help doesn't, it's just all interconnected. So I'm gonna go back to Genesis 2 quick and point back to this verse that we already looked at. Then the God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Here's the point I wanna make. Look with me at these other two verses from the Bible. There is no one like God who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? God made Adam a helper, and this is no weak concept. This is no inferior role. 
God uses the same word to describe the help that you bring to describe himself helping us. Now, God is obviously not trying to tell women that they're God. That's plain. But could he be any clearer on the value he places for you in this role? To apply God's gender design in your life with your husband, ladies, is to ascend in prominence and authority, not to descend. Being subject to, like, those words elicit so much reflux responses in our minds that it's hard to separate those two. God made man and woman to rule the earth, take care of it for him. Both of them equal in their value. Efforts to wrestle away the gender role from the man unfortunately could have an opposite effect. But applying this to your life is a promotion, promotion. Glad submission to your own husband in Christ to godly pursuits empowers your man with strength he can only obtain from you. That is the uniqueness in you. Biblical purpose of marriage is to become a minister to your partner, committed to the development of his or her glory. That's your job. You say, I see something beautiful and great that God is making in this person and I am committed to making that happen and I'm committed to sacrificing as Jesus did so that I can come into fullness. God's way is the best way. He has a 100% track record. What he has spelled out for us has not been found to be faulty ever. It's the best way. And now, his way in all of life, in all of our experience as Christian people, and all of this, when we respond in faith to God's plan, to his design, to his leading, to his direction, amazing things happen. For example, when we gladly walk in faith according to God's will, we can see rivers rage and bring life to deserts. We can see broken things restored and made whole. We can sing the name of Jesus into the dark and watch as God fills it with inescapable light. And we can see dead things come alive. What you have heard here today may not feel natural to you. True, me too. But God does not primarily work in the natural, but in the supernatural. Now I mentioned earlier that being subject to had a yes sir aspect to it, and I promised to come back to it. And I wanna highlight one part about this before we close. The man is filling his role in headship. He is going to care and protect for the glory of his wife as Christ loves and cares for all of us. And the wife, in being subject to her husband, is going to bring a help that is profound. Now these concepts, especially this concept of subject to and headship, it's not always a bad thing depending on where you are. What about me being subject to Pastor Mark in terms of the truth of what God's word says? I do that every, every week. What about Pastor Mark being subject to the authority of the elders of this church? What about all of us being subject to the authority of this church, of the church that we're in? We're all doing this. I already mentioned we're all in subject to Jesus Christ as our savior, right? But what if you're in a battle? What if you're at war? Does anybody want to go into battle with a democratic leadership structure? 
And you may want to be on the field taking fire and have a discourse on what we should do next. Look, we are having a physical experience in a greater spiritual reality. And the reality is there's a war going on. There's a war for your heart. There's a war for your soul. Why do you think the world is so bent on destroying and muddying God's plan for you? Because it's God's plan for you. (laughs) I have a friend who is overseas as we speak right now. And before he left, knowing I was going to be... talking about this, before he left, I asked him a couple questions about being in combat. I said, hey, what is the commander's primary responsibility in a combat situation? His answer was the mission. What is the commander's second highest responsibility in a combat situation? Answer, the safety and care of his team. So men, you're in command. There is a war going on. We need you to stay on mission. And with that, you will demonstrate to the whole world the love God has for us through the protection with our lives of those in the fight with us. Women, there is power and there is strength and glory unique and gifted to you. Remember that the first man in a perfect place That perfect man in face-to-face relationship with the perfect God was found to be in need of help. Help God continues to gift you as a woman. It's powerful. Use it well. And with that, you will demonstrate to the world the sacrifice Christ made for us all through the glad submission to those leading the way. And what mission? I have to end here. What mission? It's a mission for all of us. Kingdom building and disciple making. So at the end of this thing, in this battle that we're in, we will see a certain magnificent victory that God will bring about. And then when the temporary things pass away, including marriage, including marriage, we all get to join the choir and sing of his victory on our behalf forever. God's design is not tolerable. It's glorious. Be proud of it. Would you pray with me? God, our prayer as we leave this place is that what we have learned that you have revealed to us would be something that we could use to examine ourselves, that we could lean into and practice and try and apply and see what you do in response. But more than that, God, it is my desire for every single person here that we could look on what you designed, to look on what you planned, and see it beautiful, see it as glorious, and praise you for your good things. Bless us as a church, keep us strong and on the right path, guide us, in your name we pray Jesus, amen. Have a great week.